The title of the message today is Living Under Jesus' Perfect Patience. And it's very interesting to me that we had Dave do his uh, soccer announcement about Rwanda today. I wasn't clear that that was happening, but I'm going to um, read a scripture and then tell you why this is important to me from my time in Rwanda about eight to ten years ago. I don't even—I have no sense of time. Sometime between yesterday and 30 years ago, I was in Rwanda for a few days, and then this is where this memory comes from. But let's read this passage together. All right, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to his protege, brother, son, Timothy. Timothy's got this mission to help a church that's having some leadership strife. He's there to install some new elders, but also deal with people who are either not being good elders or wish they were elders but aren't qualified through their poor teaching and poor behavior. And so he's writing this letter to help the church stabilize with some leadership. And while he's writing this, he has this portion here. He says, I thank him, Jesus, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory, sorry, honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And may the Lord fulfill his purpose for his word. So I... This is where this passage strikes my heart, okay? We were in Rwanda. There was some big leaders retreat. Um, I, don't, I feel like I don't form memories while I'm traveling very well. Um, but whatever. We were at this big leaders retreat. There's probably 300, 400 people there. And Rwanda is a post-genocide society. Uh, there was a genocide there in the 90s sometime. 94 and most people who survived it are still alive. So they deal with this every day. And as a rule of thumb, if they weren't killed, they probably participated in some sense. There's a good chance. Either they were quiet or hid, or there were people who were perpetrator. And even though there was a truth and reconciliation time, um, unlikely everybody who participated um, was charged. So you're in this group of pastors in the church. And I read this passage and I remember saying something about the fact that the Apostle Paul had been seeking out Christians before he got saved, having them arrested, having them brought to Jerusalem to face trials of blasphemy or whatever. And he confessed that when it was his time, he would cast his vote against them, meaning that very likely he participated in Christians being killed for their faith in Jesus. And that 
God actually picked Paul to be an apostle so that people would have a sense of how gracious the grace of Jesus was, that Jesus would pick somebody who had been killing Christians to be the one who would spread the gospel to the Gentiles in his name. And I remember speaking about this and realizing that statistically there were men who had killed Christians in the room. True fact. True fact. Thank you. And it dawned on me that from my lived experience out here in Canada, um, I had no idea what I was talking about dealing with this passage. And I've been thinking about it ever since. Like that moment saying, God can have grace on Jesus, from Jesus on people who would even attack his people. Forgive them completely. Appoint them to service and make them fruitful for his name. And realizing there were people in the room, and I don't know what's in their hearts. Some of them were probably just still not even having repented of it, but uh, it's a good gig to try to get wealth and power sometimes to be a church leader. And so it's, and, and, and dovetailing with this experience was just my conversations with one brother from Rwanda who was in church leadership and his experience of the genocide was um, the genociders came to his village and got all the men together and got them to go all lie down in a field and then shot at them with uh, fully automatic weapons for about like 20 minutes to half an hour. And then they left and he got up because of miracle of miracles he hadn't been hit after all the clips were emptied over and over and over and over and over again. Somehow he had not been shot. And so he got up and was told to run into the woods because I think his female family members were all there watching and they said, get out of here. And so he fled and survived. And I was talking with him because the church there, the Pentecostal church that we were there visiting, um, I think this was maybe on the second trip even, from the view of the top of this really high conference center, you could say, you see that hill over there? That's where I'm from. And he said, I've actually been invited to go back to my home village and, and help build up the church there. From Some of the young people have invited me to come there. And I thought, you know, from my own perspective, I said, isn't that great? You get to go back and, and help build up the place you're from, from your roots. And I was like, do you go back there often? He says, no, never. Like, everybody I knew from there is dead. And the people who are asking me to come back are the kids of the perpetrators. True fact. fact. You just think about that. Okay, so here's an invitation to go and help the churches in an area. The only people who live there are people who killed your whole family. And their kids, who probably know all what happened, have sought out a survivor of the massacre to come and help them figure out what to do. And I could just see on his face that he's a bit conflicted. Do you know what I mean?
And so when I read these words of Paul, trying to help the church, talking about leaders and power struggles in the church, and he's kind of like waving his arms a little bit. I think Paul was probably an arm waver, (laughs) at least in his heart. And he's just trying to help them get what Jesus is doing. It's hard for me not to read this and say, like, think. When you're doing your due, church, don't forget that your Lord was murdered. And his whole mission now is to show off how gracious God is by loving his enemies and picking people who have done horrible things to him and his people and loving them completely and redeeming them so that the universe can see the glory of God expressed in the grace of Jesus. And it doesn't hurt to try to have leaders (laughs) who get that. I think that's what he's trying to do there. Hey, Timothy, when you're setting up some elders, it wouldn't hurt if you're setting up guys who are really forthright about how horrible they've been in their sin and can actually, like, talk about it publicly and say, like, this is what I was doing and how bad it was. But I really found Jesus, and he's really changed me. But I don't want to forget what it was like Because when you forget how horrible you were before Jesus saved you, you actually forget how much Jesus loved you in order to save you. Amen? So, Steinbeck Christians, don't don't forget. Don't ignore. Don't hide it. It's God's glory how much he loved us when we didn't deserve his love and how much he's rescued rescued us from. So let's talk about two ways things can go wrong in a church and one way I think can go really good. I'm just making this stuff up, so I'm not a smart man, but I do know what love is. And we're going to talk about these ideas of cultural Christianity versus consumer Christianity versus just living called by Christ. Okay? These are my, my categories. I got no last for the Forrest Gump reference. I'm I'm actually really disappointed. Cultural Christianity versus consumer Christianity versus being called by Christ. Cultural cultural Christianity, just for me. Um, This is when everybody knows what you're supposed to do to look like a Christian. Right? And you invest enough time and energy to look like you're doing fine. But your heart and what goes on at your church behind the scenes and what's going on in your family once the doors are closed and the blinds are drawn don't line up at all with what's really being presented. The outside conformity to the idea of what it means to be a Christian is there. The inward heart, not so much. Does that make sense? So in Rwanda, Rwanda at the time of the genocide was how Christian, Dave? 
90% churchgoers before the genocide hit. And whatever they were doing, and I am not sitting in judgment because we could be up to this kind of nonsense in a few months, depending on circumstances. And I'm not thinking of anything in particular. I just know the human heart. Whatever they were doing at church could not touch the deep tribalism that blew up in massacres in the genocide. Whatever the, And it's funny because like, there was lots of charismatic type people. There were lots of Pentecostal people. There were lots of like spirit-filled churches. But whatever they were doing, like there were testimonies of pastors inviting the hunted people into churches and then like burning the churches down over top of them. Or calling the, maybe it was grenades. I think it was grenades. So on the outside, everybody knew where everyone was going to be on a Sunday morning. But whatever they were doing didn't stop a genocide. Massive cultural Christianity. Where were the hearts at? Okay. Steinbeck. Massive cultural Christianity. Am I right? Who here grew up in the church? Put up your hands. Okay. Here's the time for honesty. Who here grew up in a church where it really felt like the heart was not lining up with the Sunday morning talk? Nice and high. Come on, guys. This is, this is true fact time. Okay. When Things don't line up, whether it's what's go, what happens on Sunday in church and what happens everywhere else, when it, it's going to Sunday, but what you experience in the home, when these things don't line up, it causes a massive amount of intellectual and spiritual stress and anxiety and tension, which always blows up. Whether it's rebellion or addiction or just fracturing of the mind so that people are trained to live two separate lives. It always goes wrong. And Jesus came to make people whole. He came to make churches whole. He came to make families whole. He came to make people whole. So that what happens on Sunday is just the same as Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Doors open, windows open, people over, whatever. So that there is spiritual continuity between what is presented and what's going on in the hidden places of the heart. Jesus came for that. And personally, I think about this lots. This is a great morning because none of my like older kids are here. Just Timmy's here, and he's got his headphones on, so he's happy. Some people, their best sermon they ever heard from me was listening to Coco Melon all morning long. <laughs> but I think about this lots because my kids are extra vulnerable to hypocrisy. 
Because they sit in the front row and they know what I'm like at home. And the only strategy Jackie and I are (laughs) kind of working with right now is we just need to be really humble and apologize lots. So I had this wonderful experience this this week. I've, I've got this book about being a dad that I read years ago and it just stressed me out. It made me feel like a failure. And I kind of took it out on the kids because they weren't acting in a way that made me feel like I was being a good parent. And so I got mad at them for not making me feel like a good parent. I I know I'm the only one who struggles with this. So I kind of quit. But we picked up this book again, and we're doing it totally different. So that me and the boys now read it together, and we talk about God's calling as peers. And we were reading the chapter about, like, dad's jobs and helping boys grow up this, this week. And one of the kids just asked me, Dad, do you, do you, is there any part of being a dad that you feel like you're a failure at? I'm like, yeah. I'm really afraid I'm failing you guys in this area. It's a real weakness for me. So we prayed about it together. And one of them's like, it's true. He hasn't really helped us be good at this. So I'm going to change. It was awesome. You know, it's so good. But there is something about being like Paul and saying, I'm just grateful that Jesus has saved me and given me strength to do what he's called me to do because I know what I'm like without Jesus. I was a persecutor and a blasphemer and an insolent opponent of God. And I don't want to forget because it helps me stay so humble. And Paul's like thinking and he's like, I don't think I'm ever going to meet somebody worse than me. So I've got a lot of grace for others. And I can tell people how much Jesus has for everyone because of what he's done for me. Amen? And Paul was a total cultural guy. He lived for the traditions of his fathers. He persecuted for the traditions of his fathers. And he hated Jesus for the traditions of his father. And he totally just was like, it didn't work. So, if you've been hurt by cultural Christianity without the heart, I'm really sorry that happened for you. But, the only way forward is to forgive and then find Christ for yourself. There's something about being resentful towards parents which almost dooms you to repeating their mistakes. Nobody who says, I will never be like my dad, like this, like this, like this, actually ends up freer than their dad. No one who says, I resent my mom because she hurt me for doing this and doing this and doing this, ends up freer than their mom. That's not how the kingdom of God works. You say, I forgive and God help me not repeat the sins of the past. Let it change in me for the future generations. And by grace, Jesus will work in you. But no judgment produces the freedom of Christ. And you know what? Sitting in jail, I love Steinbeck, but I'm just like, I hear you talking. (laughs) So I hear what's going on. I have no judgment in my heart against Steinbeck. I just want to talk about reality so that our future is as good as possible in Jesus Christ. So if you've been harmed by the dislocation between how your parents presented and what they were like at home, or how your church presented and what happened behind the scenes, let's 
let it go so we can be as free as possible in Jesus. Amen? Don't hide it. Don't deny it. you got to get it into the light with trusted people. But don't hold on to it with angry claws. It's got to go so you can be free. I, yeah, okay, I could stay here a lot longer, but I just, I really feel for you. I had the blessing of not knowing Jesus at all until I was 18, which was horrible in its own ways, but I had less baggage once I became a Christian. Whatever. I create my own baggage as I go. <laughs> what about consumer Christianity? That's so good. So there, that's, I like it when people make noises during the message. Anyhow, the Apostle Paul says about himself, this, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of acceptance, that Christ Jesus came in the world to the save sinners of whom I'm the worst. Not necessarily Jesus came into the world to provide us the easiest, most problem-free existence possible. So here's a picture here from what I think is Definitely the best Pixar movie of all time. One of the best movies of all time. This is Wally. Anybody know it? So I know how much to describe. Okay. Story of like a robot who's left on Earth to like clean up people's garbage and finds a plant, a little plant, a little like la- everyone thought that Earth is dead, but he finds something living. And then another robot shows up to scan, and her name is Eva or Eve. Do you know what Eve means? Somebody shout it out if you know what Eve means. Okay, I, I failed you. Eve means life. It's from the Hebrew Chava, which means life. So life comes down to the planet, and life is beautiful and dangerous. True fact? This beautiful robot, so shiny, with a mega cannon for an arm. And life finds this plant, and all of a sudden, they're all sucked out into outer space, and they find these people whose entire existence is floating around on a hover iPhone, hitting up the cosmic booster juice, gossiping, and having completely meaningless, trouble-free lives. Except it isn't life. They have a a meaningless, trouble-free existence. And Wally messes this all up, they're supposed to get this plant into the hover, hyperdrive thing, which is also, you know, science. And uh, But somebody wants to stop it. Somebody's so committed to this comfortable, trouble-free existence wants to stop them. And this is where it gets really, like, Christian. Because Wally's got to get this life into these dead people's hearts and so he gets that plant into the hyperdrive but somebody wants to stop him and so it crushes him and he's crushed for their transgressions and wounded for their sins and through his death life finally does jam that plant in there and all of a sudden they're really quick back to earth except while he's dead except life puts him back together and he's resurrected from the dead in order to bring people home into a life that is not easy but is full and good. 
I have no idea if they meant to do that. But the truth is, every good story will remind you of God's story. They all do. Every good story, you'll just be like, how is this like Jesus? And it's always there because God has written his story on our hearts. We want to hear about losers getting rescued through death by someone who loves them, though they even don't deserve it, and then comes back to be with them. It's not enough for them just to die. They need to come back so we can love them. And that's what Jesus did. He came to this planet to bring us life, and we didn't really want him. And the cost of coming to be back in life with God, we like the control, we like the comfort, we like the ease, and he wouldn't let us have it. And so he spoke the truth, even when it made us furious. And he was willing to die instead of being controlled. And through his death, he brought us real life and brings us back to God so we can be the people we were meant to be forever. With him. I, this is my, Jesus, you did it. You died for me and I still get you. This is heaven on earth. To be loved unto death and still get the one who loves you. So the trials of consumer Christianity is that you tend to end up a evaluating your church experience by how good it makes you feel. This Sunday morning, is it comfortable? Is it easy? Is it pleasant? Is it, is it digestible? The problem with that is it tends to make us kind of self-centered. And we can get good content without necessarily experiencing radical transformation. The amount of amazing content out there that's accessible on our phones, we should be doing better. Do you know what I mean? You all have way better worship and messages than this. Available to you 24 hours a day. Why aren't we doing better? Because it's not about what we consume. It's about getting on your own two feet with Jesus so you can produce. Saying yes to the trials, yes to the discomfort, sweating, bleeding, hurting, to be alive and spread life in Jesus. It's not about consumption. It's about saying yes to cost in love. So here's the better way. I did it. I took a picture from the chosen. I feel dirty. I feel so dirty. <laughs> Have you noticed? Like I, I usually wait 15 years before I'll reference a movie. That's when uh, Wally came out, like 2006 or something. By then, I'm okay. I'm okay. It's not pop culture anymore. I'm not. I'm not in with anything. I don't want to be in with anything. I dress so that I don't look in with anything. I try to cut my hair. So I, what? 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 What fat are you doing? I'm doing no fat. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. The struggle is real. I want to look so not good or not bad that you you just... Was there even someone up there? He blended into the background. <laughs> Anyhow, a lot of people enjoy this show. 
This is what we do with uh, Christian Christian shows about Jesus. Every movie about Jesus is going to help you see him better in some ways and going to miss the mark on other ways. And so you just talk about how things compare to Scripture and enjoy the good. Amen? Do you know what I'm talking about? Some people cut this out. Oh, that, they, they took that out of context. Just throw that in the garbage. Well, nothing's perfect, including me. Let's find Jesus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What? Oh, it still says consumer Christianity up there. Can you forgive me? See, look, I did something imperfect. Leave the church. Start a website. <laughs> Make a meme. Do it, I dare you. Do it. This is my, my kids. They, they watch Star Wars, and now they say to each other all the time, do it. If <laughs> you have to imitate somebody, does it have to be the emperor? <laughs> Whatever. Oh, man. The call of Christ is this. This is the, the way to live your life is to go, I cannot deserve one minute of Jesus, but I have him. And now I say yes to what he's called me to. This is how you navigate everything. I could not deserve one minute of family. After what I've done to Jesus, I got saved later in a, like early adulthood, but later, and I did enough before I even knew who Jesus was to make me worthy of hell. And I mean that. I mean that. I mean that. Everything is gift for me from summer of 1998. Everything is gift for me. Every trial, every problem, all the food, the quiche I had on Friday, it's gift. But Jesus doesn't just like grab people and say, well, you don't deserve this, but go sit on a shelf. If you're saved, you get saved into a calling. And if you're called, you've got a mission. And if you've got a mission, you've got something to do for Christ. This is your life. It's so much better than just trying to look okay for a few hours on Sunday morning. And it's so much better than just trying to get your religious experience to make you feel good. You're called by Jesus to change the world by the power of the Spirit within you. And if you hold on to who you were and hold on to who you are, you can see that God has unlimited patience towards you. He is willing to wait forever (laughs) and to put up with everything to make you useful and make you know his love and to change the world through you. And one of the best things about Paul's attitude of living, holding on to the past in a way that makes Jesus' love look humongous and holding on to the presence which makes the weight of the call feel great is that you finally get to let go of what everyone else is doing. You're not coming to church under cultural Christianity where you're just like imprisoned by what are they thinking? What are they saying? What are they going to say about me? I don't know. I don't know. And you're in the prison of the fear of man. Or consumer Christianity where you're just a slave to how it felt. No, you're called by Christ. The God of the universe, the judge of the living of the dead knows your name and the job he wants you to do. And he says, I'm going to love you forever. Let's do this. That is a life worth living. And it's yours if you'll have it by faith, no matter who you are. And the worse, the better. 
God has, he, he does have something to prove. Because Satan thinks that God is a selfish jerk. I don't know if you knew this. But Satan and a lot of people think that God is a selfish, controlling jerk. And God is proving forever that he's not by picking the worst of the worst and loving them into the best of the best. You think I'm a selfish jerk? Paul hated my guts and killed my kids. And I made him the most famous person in human history except for Jesus. That's the love and mercy of God. So when it comes to how bad you are, bring it. Bring it to Jesus. For what you've been through, bring it. Bring it to Jesus. He wants to show Satan and the world how much he can love you. And not just like, because you know, oh, so it's just a gag. No, like for real, for real, from his heart, love you. And make you count and change things. That's what he wants to do. Because he wants you to see him as he really is, a God of infinite mercy and grace. Amen? So we're going to worship. I'm going to pray quick. You know what the best thing we could do? If you need to forgive somebody for your experiences of church so that you can be free, now is the best time to do it. It's, today is always the best day to forgive. <laughs> I don't know. If it ends in why, it's a day for forgiveness. But if it's not helping your call in Jesus, we need to get it under the cross. Amen. So, Father God, I just give you your church. And, uh, Lord, I pray you would liberate us from this fear of failure or this fear of the past being anchors in our lives or this fear of being hurt again because of what happened. Jesus, save us. Or this fear of people finding out how we're really doing, that we're anxious and afraid and hurt. Jesus, save us from these controlling fears. Lord, help us to hear afresh, you have chosen people who tried to kill you to show how much you can love anybody. And so, Lord, I pray all these fears would come down. I pray all this this junk would come off us, that you would make us the freest hearts we can be. And, Lord, where we've just been, like, letting the selfishness come in our walk with you, would you forgive me, Lord Jesus? I do that. And as a pastor, that's bad because I've got a lot of influence to kind of angle the things to my own personal convenience. Lord, would you forgive us where we've wanted things to be comfortable instead of a powerful encounter with God? And Jesus, would you just have mercy and do what we can't do? I am so hopeful for these days, Jesus. Hey, business leaders, can I talk to you guys? I hear lots that you've really been hurt in this city. Maybe this isn't your story, but I just want to call you in Jesus' name. Can you forgive us? 
And can you go afresh to Jesus and ask him what your calling is in business and Steinbeck, please? I want you to be so just free in step with the Spirit. It's my heart for you. And anybody who's like got an issue with liquids or chemicals that you're trying to use to kind of cover over the hurt or fill up the gap, I just want to say Jesus loves you. He sees what's going on. He wants to help you and love you and make you whole. And he wants you to look at the life of Paul and see the unlimited patience he'll have towards you as you get better. So don't give up. Don't give up. Let's worship the Lord.